Halashing for Halas? Want to bry or fine dine? Stay tuned to High FM on 101.9 Tuesday mornings from 11am for Essen Fresen where it's all about the food. Good morning and you are with Adrian on the Essen Fresen show and I thought do something a little different. I'll still share some recipes but I thought about making life a little easier in the kitchen with a whole lot of cooking and kitchen hacks just to make things a little more simple and to sort of encourage us in this absolute heat to do some cooking because I know I am struggling at the moment and I love cooking. So for those of you who hate it, I'm not sure how you're managing. So I thought we'd start with stuff like um, fancy dinner breakfasts and things that we always assume take a lot longer to make than they do and are a lot more complicated. So everybody's seen or pictures with poached eggs on toast with salmon and cream cheese and all that. And poaching eggs seems like a lot of work. Uh, I do know of a chef who refuses point blank to poach eggs because it is quite time consuming and the timing has got to be perfect if you're going to do it. Your water can't be boiling too much or too little. And if the egg's not fresh, you get a lot of little strings around it. And then when you get it out of the water, it's all like liquidy and watery and needs to sit on a paper towel before you can put it on your piece of toast. So the first hack I found was making poached eggs in a muffin tin. So cloaked in clouds of tender white with just the runny yolks inside, it's perfect. It's a healthy way and a healthy version of a fried egg if you like your eggs over easy. Um, And the truth is that unless you're working as a commercial chef, you're not likely to make poached eggs. And I did find that I bought one of these weird egg poachers and all it did was melt the plastic and the eggs got stuck and all that kind of thing. So it was a bit of an issue. So here's an easy one. You just take your egg muffin tin and obviously you're going to uh, put a little bit of water in the bottom, just a spoonful. You put your egg in and you bake it at about 180 or if you're in Fahrenheit, 350, and you bake it for 10 to 13 minutes. Now, just remember, if you're on a fan-forced oven, you need to bake it for the 10 minutes. If you're on a regular static oven, 13 minutes, and you have perfect eggs, I would suggest either using a non-stick muffin pan or to spray it really well beforehand with a, a cooking spray to grease it nicely. Back in rage, cakes. Cakes are a pain for me. I don't bake. But I can remember growing up with my mother making her cakes in the microwave. They take like no time at all. I think it's like eight minutes or something. The only issue is you do have to ice them because they do look raw. So then came the hack of cake in in a mug. You can buy the packages now. So you don't even have to make your own from scratch but the cake in a mug just makes things fun simple and a lot easier you are going to obviously whether you make your cake batter from scratch or you use boxes doesn't matter remember to grease your mug properly pour your cake in pop it in the oven your microwave for as long as it says if you've got really good cakes uh, or muffins you can then always put the muffins in the, the sorry the mugs 
into the oven and bake them in the oven, but I would just do a microwave oven. You're listening to Adrian Bugatti on the Eastern Fashion Show. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? This is Essen Fresen. It's all about the food. Right. You're listening to Adrian Bugatti. And I'm talking about kitchen hacks and cooking hacks and just things to make life easier. Now, I often use things like honey or molasses or maple syrup and peanut butter in my cooking, especially peanut butter because we do a lot of Chinese-style food and Asian food, which often has the satay flavors. And it's a pain because they stick to everything, and it's a nightmare. So I found this wonderful hack, and that is to use cooking spray on the inside of your measuring cups before you use these sticky ingredients. Then they just slip out. In the old days, if I was using a tablespoon, um, we were just we were taught to heat it up with some hot water. But obviously, keeping kosher, heating up a milk spoon, sticking it in my peanut butter is going to turn it into a milk peanut butter so it's just better to do it this way and that is to spray it with a cooking spray and grease it nicely so that when you stick your spoon into your peanut butter it just slides off nice and easy and it just makes things a little easier now Something else with peanut butter, I haven't seen it, but I keep reading up that some of the peanut butters often separate. So you get the oil at the bottom, at the top, sort of comes to the top and the peanut butter separates to the bottom. And the tip for that was to store your jars upside down, which means the oil goes to well, the then top of the jar, which is actually your bottom. So when you want to use your peanut butter, you just turn it back up and there's no oil on top. I must admit, I would use the peanut oil. I'd probably pour it out and save it for cooking, uh, just as a little trick. Another TikTok thing that we've seen everywhere is how to get the skin peeled off your garlic. It's sometimes a little bit tricky. Um, I've just found that I don't bother peeling. I smash the garlic with my knife, and the skin comes off. But they do tell you that that one where you've seen them put the garlic in a glass jar and close the lid and shake it does peel the garlic off quite nicely or at least loosen it which is really a good idea and that's an important thing um and i mean i use a lot of garlic especially when it's changing season because garlic prevents colds and flu or if you do get a cold or flu it does make it shorter duration it's a natural anti um I wouldn't say antibiotic, but sort of an antiviral, antibacterial agent. Now, one of the things about using the glass jar is that your hands are not going to stink of garlic forever, which sometimes mine do because I'm using three, four cloves of garlic. And then you don't have to scrape your fingernails in the cloves or anything like that. So you put them in a lidded jar and happily the skins come off. Now, one thing it doesn't say is that Cutting the bottom off of the garlic where the skin is actually attached to the clove will help that a lot. And I do that anyway. Another thing to do with garlic is to peel it in the microwave. I have no idea about this, but they say you can put the cut, cut the tops off the garlic, put them in the microwave for 20 to 30 seconds, and the skins will pop off. 
Um, I am going to give this a try the next time, but one of my, my microwave kind of caught fire the other day. So we're at the end of that one. It did serve us well. Um, they used to make things really well in the old days. So that one lasted at least 30 years. Another thing to do with garlic, if you need minced garlic and you don't have one of those garlic presses. Now I've got the garlic press, but I often find it leaves a lot behind. It leaves like the skin behind or the thicker parts. And I've learned a little trick is that I grate my garlic on the very, very fine side of my box grater. So it's almost like a microplane that you see them using, fancy chefs using it to uh, do uh, orange rinds and lemon rinds and all those kind of things. Well, I just grate my garlic on that and it works out beautifully. And I've got perfectly minced garlic, just the amount I need. The next one comes with a recipe. And that's called peeling pomegranates. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle every year. Whenever it's pomegranate season, just to get it out, I will just go and buy the pomegranates in the tub that have been done by somebody else. But we can't always do that, especially like coming up Pesach time. It's got, you can't buy the ready-made prepared one. So they talk about collecting pomegranates from a fresh, you know, the seeds from a fresh pomegranate and how messy it is. And it is. It's very messy. They say if you submerge the cut fruit in water, you can massage the seeds out and that will float to the top while all of the juice and pulp will stay neatly contained in the bowl. In the bowl. So what they're saying is cut your pomegranate in half, put it in water and then just gently massage or squeeze the pomegranates out and all that red liquid will just drip into the bowl or stay in the water, should I say, so you'll get like a pomegranate water, but you'll also get all the skin and pieces that you don't want. And then with that came this beautiful pomegranate hack for a pear and field green salad with pomegranate dressing or vinaigrette. Now, field greens, I had to look that up because it's not something we as South Africans do. And I've included what it is in the recipe, but basically it means green leafy vegetables. And it just looks so fancy according to the picture, and it is a healthy alternative. And it literally takes about 20 minutes to make. Nice and quick. So for the vinaigrette, it's a third of a cup of pomegranate juice two tablespoons of olive oil, one tablespoon of white wine vinegar. The truth is if you can't get white wine vinegar, plain vinegar works just as well. A tablespoon of sugar, half a teaspoon of cinnamon, half a teaspoon of ginger, and an eighth of a teaspoon of sea salt. Now they suggest you use the grinder sea salt, but you can use any sea salt. Just remember when you're grinding the sea salt, the pieces are a little bit thicker even when they've been ground. So that is up to you if you like it. You know, if you like that crunch, I know a lot of people prefer the table salt and you can just use that. Then for your your pear and field green salad, so it's a half a cup of field greens. So in South Africa, that would be something like rocket, your different kinds of lettuces, including radicchio. Now, radicchio is that lettuce. It's sort of white at the bottom and then red on the top. It just, that's the color of it. But it, you don't have to use it. It just adds some nice color. And some baby spinach. So three quarters of a cup of that. Two ripe pears, cored and thinly sliced. A third of a cup of dried cranberries. Three tablespoons of toasted walnut pieces. 
and three tablespoons of crumbled blue cheese. So obviously pear and blue cheese go very well together. So this is obviously a dairy recipe. For the vinaigrette, you're going to mix all the ingredients in a bowl with a wire whisk until well blended. Now, the pomegranate seeds are beautiful to add your color. And then you'll just have your, your pomegranate juice that you can just buy. Or if you've got a juicer, put it into the juice machine. Just before serving, toss your greens with the pears, cranberries, walnuts and blue cheese in a large bowl. Or you can divide it in individual plates. Drizzle with the pomegranate vinaigrette, toss lightly and serve with some seeds on top. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? This is Essen Fressen. It's all about the food. Hi, this is Adrian Bugatti and I'm talking kitchen hacks and cooking tips. So, have you ever been asked to halve a whole lot of tiny cherry tomatoes? It's a bit of a nightmare that. Um, you stand there forever with these tiny little things trying to cut them in half. So I found this cooking hack and I like using it. Taking two lids of any containers, your Tupperware lids or whatever you have, and you put the little roly-wiggly cherry tomatoes in the thing and you can do a whole lot at a time, which is really great. Put the second lid on top and then just press down gently. You don't want to squish the tomatoes. And with a really, really sharp knife, you're going to make a single cut across between the two lids. And that will cut your tomatoes in half. And you can do a whole lot all at once. That's going to save you a fortune of time, which I really, really like. Then another thing that I've had an issue with is the brown sugar. Not the light one, but the dark ones, the, the rich caramel or the molasses ones or any of those thick really treacly kind of brown sugars is that if you don't use them often they go solid like you can buy them on the shelf and they're already solid so I found quite a useful trick now you've got to make sure that nobody in the family sees this because chances are the ingredient that you need to keep the brown sugar soft is going to disappear really quickly and that is by putting some marshmallows into your beautiful sugar never heard of it i definitely want to try it um, i've got to go out and buy some marshmallows two different places i found this one said mini marshmallows and the other one reg- said regular marshmallows so whichever one you can find that's what you're going to put a few of those in just as you would do um, say to keep the salt from clumping you put some rice into it here you're going to put marshmallows into your brown sugar i have no idea why this works um, if there's a scientist out there who can give me a clue, that would be great. Let me know. But otherwise, that is one of the tricks to keeping your sugar from clumping and going hard. I don't know if it would work on white sugar or the light brown sugar. Then another trip to you want, you're serving thinly sliced beef. You want to do a beautiful Shabbos meal and you want thinly sliced beef you know, done on plates and just to look good rather than going out and buy them. So the butchers get their thinly sliced meat easily. They have a machine that slices it as thin as they want and they just set it. But what happens with us who don't have those machines? Well, what they say is that you should freeze the meat once it's cooked and then slice it. Don't 
it doesn't have to be solid, solid frozen because obviously then you need a knife that can cut through frozen food. But it does need to be three quarters, you know, like 15 minutes in your freezer. If you have a proper freezer, if you have one of those little cubby freezers on the top of your fridge, that's not really a proper, it's like not a deep freeze, let's put it this way. That's 15 minutes. If you have a deep freeze, probably only 10 minutes. Take it out. It's cold and it is always easier to cut cold meat than it is to cut hot meat. You'll find you can cut it much, much thinner and your slices are more even, which is a huge thing. You can cut them as thin as you like. But just remember, once again, your knife needs to be properly sharpened. And that is something that is a tip for everybody. It's keeping your knives sharp. And the reason we say using sharp knives is, yes, if you do slip and injure yourself, the cut is obviously going to be pretty severe. But you are less likely to cut or injure yourself if the knife is sharp because it is unlikely to slip on what you're cutting. So that's an important tip with that. Now, the next tip I found, it's not something I'm, I use. I do have a rice cooker that I got from someone sitting in a dark corner somewhere. I have no idea. Um, because to me, cooking rice in the rice cooker, I don't use that much rice. And it takes like a couple of hours to do it. I believe it is much better. And I think if you're doing quantities, then definitely rice cooker would be the way to go. But with load shedding, you can't guarantee you're going to have the rice cooker going all the time, all those kind of things. So I do admit that I stick to my rice on the stove because I have gas. But the rice cooker, it can be used for more than just rice. Apparently, if you don't mind it being a dairy one, you can make a mac and cheese. You can make soup. You can do stews or beans or any kind of grain and they come like that you apparently can even make fluffy pancakes so i thought something different would be to do the recipe for the fluffy pancake i haven't tried it i might look at trying it when i find my rice cooker Um, and this is the perfect apparently the perfect fluffy rice uh, pancake and it doesn't take long which is great It takes 10 minutes to prep, 16 minutes to cook. So you do need at least 20 minutes in the morning before you're going to serve breakfast. It only makes three servings. So if you've got more than that, it's not really worthwhile. And to make your pancakes, you need a cup of flour, two tablespoons of sugar, two teaspoons of bicarb or baking soda, two teaspoons of cream of tartar, half a teaspoon of salt and one egg, half a cup of milk or milk substitute, two tablespoons of butter or margarine melted, and then one teaspoon of pure vanilla extract. Now, please be careful with the difference between vanilla essence and vanilla extract. Vanilla extract is pure vanilla. It comes from the vanilla bean itself. Vanilla essence is a synthetic um, vanilla flavoring to give your food and the color just to give your cakes and things that special taste so you obviously use a lot less vanilla extract than you would use vanilla essence and you can buy it everywhere from kosher world and woolworths you will get and i think i've even seen it at pick and pay you're going to get your vanilla extract so you want one teaspoon of all natural or just pure vanilla extract for your pancakes 
Then for the topping, which is a cinnamon syrup, you want a cup of maple syrup, one teaspoon of vanilla extract again, and a quarter teaspoon of ground cinnamon. For your pancake, you're going to mix your flour, your sugar, your baking soda or um, bicarb, your cream of tartar and your salt into a bowl. In a separate bowl, you mix your eggs, your milk, your butter and your vanilla. Then you add the flour mixture to the liquid mixture and stir until the ingredients are just moist. So the batter will be thick and slightly lumpy. You're going to allow this to stand for five minutes and leave that aside. Then you go, now this is the stovetop one um, because like I said, I don't use my electric fryer, uh, sorry, my electric rice cooker, but I'm sure it works very similar. Although I would put parchment paper down before m- baking, I suppose you would call it, my pancake in the, the fryer, in the cooker. You're going to spray a large frying pan with non-stick spray. You're going to heat it to medium-low. You're going to pour a quarter of a cup of batter per pancake onto the frying pan and you cook for two to four minutes per side until it's golden brown. And then for the cinnamon syrup, well, that's easy. You're going to mix all the ingredients in a small bowl and you just heat it up a little bit to make it more runny if you want. If you like it nice and thick and treacly, then just leave it as it is when you're using maple syrup if you are using real maple syrup it is a lot thicker in consistency than sorry thinner in consistency than the synthetic syrup that we buy normally and then who remembers those chickens on a beer can i can remember learning to do that a long time ago you took your whole chicken you put you put your beer can inside Generally, I think the beer can was open and the beer was out, so it would be an empty one. And you put your chicken onto the beer can, although I'm not sure if it was empty or not because I never used it. Somebody actually gave me one of those special stands with a drip tray underneath to put my chicken on. But I think you would need the beer to flavor your chicken, but also to, you know, hold the chicken up. It would need the weight of the liquid. But the same idea comes, and this is making the new bunt pan your beer can. And instead of roasting your chicken over a large can of beer, you prop it on your bunt pan instead. So for those who don't know the bunt pan, the bunt pan is that old, well, we used to all have cakes with it. It's the one with the open circle in the center. So you poured your batter around and the center was open and you got this like ring cake. You heat the heat then what happens? The heat will go all the way around the bundt pan and it gives you a beautiful crispy skin and the juices released will pour over any vegetables that you have placed in the bottom. So it's kind of like a one not a one pot I suppose you could call it a one pot dish so I would take vegetables that you want to roast especially potatoes and carrots and things like that put those in the bottom season them nicely season your chicken place it over the whole or the center of your bun pan and allow the juices to drip beautifully onto your vegetables nothing better then microwave potatoes now microwave potatoes there are two things to do with this The first one is it's a quick, easy snack. You stick your potato in the microwave. Remember to prick it, otherwise it bursts. 
And usually six minutes later, you have a perfectly baked potato if you've got big potatoes. Now, there's some tricks to do with that baked potato. And the first thing is to make it into a mash. You've baked your potatoes, however many you've baked, in the microwave. You can peel them and mash them, or you just cut them in half and scoop out the flesh, save you the peeling. And then mash it up. Uh, There's some beautiful ways to mash it up with cream, with chives, with butter and salt, something really nice, or with the garlic and butter so you've got garlic and all mixed herbs it's beautiful flavored mashed potato and they are much easier and take quicker to mash and then you also don't land up accidentally over boiling your potatoes so you land up with watery potatoes for mashing which is a problem the other thing that i like to do is i like to bake my potatoes in the microwave then i take a piece of foil i spread some oil over the over the foil I sprinkle with salt and then I wrap my potato in that and pop it in the oven and it gives you beautifully baked potatoes in about 15 minutes instead of taking ages to get that beautiful potato skin that you get from baking your potatoes in the oven so I really love that the other thing is a recipe it's called twice baked potatoes and I love doing this my kids grew up with it you take your potato, you microwave it, you cut it in half, you scoop out all your flesh, and then you can add some vegetables to it, some grated cheese to the mash. You mix it all together, you scoop it back into the potato skin, uh, pile it a little high because obviously once you've done filling, you've now got more potato. And then sprinkle your cheese on top and pop it in the oven to bake, and you've got twice-baked potatoes. And depending on what you fill your potato with, you're going to have a healthy option. Another choice is to use that extra mash, turn them into balls and bake them and you've got potato croquets. You can deep fry them however you'd like and they've got like seasoned, flavored, filled potato squares, which I absolutely love. Now, it's hot. We're going shopping. Everybody wants ice cream as a dessert, but Often you land up coming home and your ice cream has melted. It's separated. I've had it happen with the best ice creams and the worst ice creams that you can buy. And you get that absolute separation, especially with something like a sorbet where it sinks to the bottom and, the, you know, it just gets separate. So one of the great things is to get some bubble wrap. You get your cooler bags or whatever you buy from the shops and you wrap your ice cream in bubble wrap and then stick it in the cooler bag and that'll give you a few minutes to get home and it can well more than a few minutes it can stay actually quite firm for a few hours and I love that idea because that's how I do a lot of traveling and I often need to take my ice cream as the dessert because when I'm in the middle of the bush there's not really time to make ice cream and there's no guarantee that I'm going to have enough freezer space to do that. It's been cherry season. How many of you have ever wondered, like you sit there, you eat the cherries and all that's left after that is these pips. You've got a whole plate of pips, which is quite annoying. And it it makes eating cherries, well, for me, kind of tedious. So I found a little hack for a cherry pit 
or something to pitch your cherries with without getting the fancy equipment. And that was to use a straw. Now, you can use a straw or you can use a, a chopstick. doesn't matter which one it is. And this is assuming, by the way, that you drink beer. So it says put a cherry on top of an empty beer bottle and then use a chip chopstick or a reusable straw to push the pit right into the bottle. Very handy, very effective and very tidy. I like that idea. Um, the truth is, though, that if I buy cherries in my house, they're not going to last long enough for me to put them unless I hide them. So, but what a nice hack to know. The next one is what they call shucking corn. Now, we buy corn. For most of us, we're buying millies ready-made, like ready-peeled. There's no um, leaves on or anything. But when you buy the ones with the leaves on, how do you get those off? I am growing corn in my garden. It's not the yellow one. It is the white one. So it is acquired taste. Not everybody likes it. I do prefer it. My family do not. But how do you get those leaves off the cob it's just really annoying and I don't always want to buy the frozen corn or the canned corn so you use your microwave to do that you put it in for 30 seconds on high heat and the the the, the shucked or the skins just peel away so easy so very similar to the way you would do garlic really a nice idea um, and I do remember if you want to cook your millies in the microwave, it's very simple. You take those leaves, you wrap the, the entire millie in it, and what it does is it helps keep the millie soft and moist. You put a rubber band on it to keep them in place or a string to tie it in place, whichever you prefer, and then you put it in your microwave for a couple of minutes, and that should help you cook your millies without boiling water and nice and quick and that's especially uh, good when you know that you're about to have load shedding I think it takes if I remember correctly it was about 15 minutes in the microwave at the most whereas if you're going to use it on the stove you've got to wait for the water to boil and then cook for another 20 minutes and it just takes a lot longer now for those of us who like wine this is not really something we're probably going to do but there are other people who would like to join in with wine who aren't really great fans of wine. A nice little tri trick to turn your plain wine into some bubbly wine is to add some chilled sparkling water, unflavored. You, you put your bottle into the water and it'll bubble up. But if you want to chill, chill your wine in a really quick manner, it's easy. You find a tall enough jug, same height as your wine bottle. You put the bottle in ice water with a small handful of salt. And every few minutes, you just turn the wine and it'll be chilled within 20 minutes. You're listening to Adrian Bugatti and this is the Essen Fresen Show. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? This is Essen Fresen. It's all about the food. You're listening to Adrian Bugatti and I'm talking kitchen and cooking hacks. Now, I'm sorry to bring this up. I really am. But the truth is Pesach is around the corner. 
we're seeing adverts for Pesach uh, getaways and programs all over the place. And I've got a recipe, well, not a recipe, a, a hack for those of us who make our own tomato sauce over Pesach rather than buying. And I've learned this hack actually when making tomato soup as well. And I learned it from some chefs in one of the game lodges. And it is to simmer your tomato sauce with a carrot. Now, the reason for this is the carrots are actually quite sweet and they will take away the acidity of the tomato sauce. So you'll actually be able to use less sugar than you would normally. And what you do is you just put it into your tomato sauce that you're making. You peel it, put it in and you simmer it and then you just remove it before serving. Obviously, you don't want to carrot in your tomato sauce but when I've done the tomato soup with the carrot all I've done is peeled the carrots chopped them up put them in with my tomatoes and cooked them and it definitely reduces the need for sugar because tomato sauce and tomato soup can be very acidic now for those who've got picky eaters and who don't like their food touching but you still got to do your lunch boxes. I found this hack on one of the American websites. It's called Organized Snacks with Cupcake Liners. So obviously your cookie cups, that's what we're going to use. And they say prevent your goldfish from touching the peeled fruit. So I'm assuming it's something like preventing your pretzels from touching your cut fruit that you've put in to make your lunchbox healthy. And what you can do is you can put in colored ones so the kids get excited, make different patterns. You know, or if it's a special birthday one, use special cupcakes on the birthday. And that will separate your lunchbox and keep everything like neatly packed and make everybody a little, okay, my, fr- my food didn't cut, touch my, you know, my dry food didn't touch my, my vegetables or whatever you've got. So those are very nice. It doesn't work very well with very wet foods, obviously, unless you've got the really thick greased uh, cupcakes or you've bought those beautiful brown paper ones, those kind of things. And depending on the size of the lunchbox, it will also depend on the size of the cupcake liner you're going to use. Then another thing, and this I learned at also another fancy game lodge. Yay for what I'm learning there. Is how to soften butter. Now, it works with butter or with the brick margarine. Works well. Sometimes we all forget to take the margarine or the butter out of the fridge before you are baking. Now, most baking recipes will tell you to please use room temperature margarine or butter. So what do you do? Well, you can soften the butter quickly and that's the easiest way is to cut it into cubes and let it sit for 20 minutes. The smaller pieces obviously are going to soften up faster than an entire brick. Now they talk about this quite often in, in you know, baking that it must be room temperature. But while I was away at one of the places, I saw them, they take their butter for breakfast or if you're having a lunch and they actually cut their butter into cubes, almost like, um, I'd say, sort of two centimeters by one centimeter, little rectangular. Then they take baking paper and they cut that and they wrap it like sweets. Not only is it nice that if there's leftovers, you can just stick it back in the fridge 
because nobody's touched it, nobody's stuck their knives in it. But it's a pretty way to serve margarine on the table that each person can take an individual piece that they want to spread on their bread or on their challah if it's margarine. And, and in my family, margarine and butter are almost like a must. And I just like the idea of having portion sizes kept healthy. And that, that's something nice to do. Then another thing is to dice eggs on a cooling rack. Now, I've never seen this done, but I think I like the idea. We used to get, I, th- I don't know, I'm sure you still can get them, those egg slices where you peel your boiled egg and you put it in and you press down and the mesh cuts it into nice little slices. But sometimes we don't want slices. Sometimes we need little bit, you know, cubes or something that we're going to dice. Because what I do with mine was I put them in to the slicer one way and then I carefully take it and I turn it around and I slice it the other way. It just makes it easier to mash when I want to make an egg, egg mayo salad. And it works with avos as well. So you're going to put it on a cooling rack and then you just press gently so that it cuts it without mashing it too much. And this is when you don't need it to look all pretty and fancy. You just push it down and you can make mash. If you're doing it with an avo, the same thing would apply. You push it down onto your cooling rack. It'll cut it into cubes and it just makes it easier then to take your fork and mash it all up nicely to make guacamole. Uh, something nice and different to do with your eggs then how many of you like I use a lot of fresh herbs I love fresh herbs we're growing them so it's no longer a problem but in the past it was a huge issue for me because you would have to buy them in these ready-made plastic containers and sometimes you just needed a little bit and you had all of this left so how do you keep them a little bit fresh because you'll buy it, say, today, and by tomorrow it's already starting to look a little bit suspect, and it's not going to be as pretty to use. Now, there are two ways, and this is simple. The first one is something like parsley and coriander who come with long stems, so things like chives, all those things that have got long stems. You would put them in, you tie them up with a soft elastic band and put them in a glass of water into your fridge they will last a lot lot longer put a obviously put a bit of a plastic a sandwich bag or something over to keep them from picking up the scents from your fridge or from overpowering especially the coriander overpowering the scents in your fridge they can obviously sometimes leach into other foods so you want to be a little bit more careful with that Another way to do it is to use ice trays and what you do is you check your herbs then you chop them and you place them as much as you want, usually a teaspoon at a time, into ice cube trays and then you gently pour your water into the ice cube tray and put it into the freezer. And what happens is if you need parsley or coriander or chives or thyme or any of the other herbs that you're going to use, in your cooking, all you have to do is take out that little ice cube, dissolve it into your pot, and you've got your herbs. So it works really, really nicely. Obviously, if you're going to be using the herbs for decoration, it doesn't quite work so well. Then wrapping it in a kitchen twine or, or in a, a, rab, um, a rubber band and keeping it in the fridge, it'll last you about two weeks which is really, really good. Now, 
a French term, mise en place. It actually means things in place. When you're prepping and cooking, mise en place is a must. You need to be organized. And your baking trays or sheet pans are great. All you do is you put all your prep stuff onto the tray. It keeps it all in the one place, especially if you've got eggs, because it's got that little edge, so your egg is not likely to go rolling away. And it helps you stay efficient, and it helps with cleanup. You're listening to the SN and Show. This is Adrian Bugatti. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? This is SN Fresen. It's all about the food. Welcome back. I'm Adrian Bugatti, and this is the Essen Fresen Show. So I have some cooking hacks, kitchen hacks, things to make life easier. So the, we've just been talking about being organized with your mise en place by having all the ingredients that you need on your baking tray to keep them all in one place. It just keeps tidy and takes up less space, especially if you're in a smaller kitchen. Um, and it's an important part of any recipe because I'm not sure about how many of you do it. Uh, it's something I used to do until I learned this trick, is that I would only take out the ingredients as I needed them instead of taking everything out before I started cooking even. And it is an important thing. Um, I've even taken it as far as that I now measure out before I, use, before I even start the recipe so that I don't have to keep going back to the recipe to see how much of this did I need, how much of that did I need. I've already got it already. But then once I'm done with the cooking, often you've left peels and you've left, you've got to stand somewhere else and you've got shells or you've got all bits and pieces left over that need to be cleaned up and thrown away. So there's two things I've learned. One is if you buy your groceries online, they're often delivered in paper bags. So those paper bags can be recycled, not a problem. But what I used to do, well, I used to do it with newspaper, is I used to put the newspaper out and I would peel my vegetables and things onto that. Now, it's great. The only problem is sometimes the stuff is wet and the paper disintegrates while you're doing it. Or if you have a white surface, then you land up with newspaper print all over your surface. If you're using those brown bags, just make sure the color side is up and the plain side is against your surface so that doesn't happen. And the truth is those paper bags are much thicker and easier to clean up then. The other thing I have is a little bowl. That is my suggestion. So when I'm traveling, when we're prepping, and once again, I've seen it in the kitchens in restaurants and hotels, is they put a little bowl on the side and all the peels and everything go in there. Now, this is great if you're doing composting because then that's where your vegetable peels and your leftover vegetables that are going to go into the compost actually go and eggshells by the way can be composted so like when you're peeling eggs whatever you're doing it all goes in there makes a brilliant thing or it just makes it easier to tidy up because you take that bowl you tip it out into your main bin and then rinse it and you've done i have a i don't know how long i've had it i love it it's a countertop it's a square cube thing you put your shopping plastic bag in as the liner and i just it carries it wherever I need to go and I'll take it like if I'm clearing the table and I need to get rid of serviettes and breadcrumbs and things I actually just take it with me to the table and you can scoop it in there if I'm prepping it sits on my counter and I can just prep into there and I love that to me it just makes up tidying just that much easier now the next thing is to keep your bowl on the counter where you want it a lot of us, when we're cooking or cutting, the 
cutting board slides around uh, your your cook your baking bowl or whatever bowl you're using also doesn't stay still. Well, the trick is to keep a damp dish cloth underneath. I have got a non-slip mats that I put on my counters, but the wet damp cloth works brilliantly. It doesn't have to be sopping wet. You just sprinkle some water over the cloth, like wring it out, put it on the counter, and whatever you're going to work on, you can do that. And what works even better is if you're cutting something that's a bit juicy in that, the cloth is usually slightly bigger than your cutting board. And the juices will drip onto the cloth, which once again makes cleaning of your kitchen counters so much easier. I just love that idea. Cheese. Cheese is a big thing. The blocks of cheese, depending on how big a cheese eater you are, means every time you want it, you've either got to grate it or cut it or slice it. But for the most part, 99% of us are going to use grated cheese. Now, you can buy grated cheese if you want. It's... I think a little bit more expensive. I'm not sure. Um, but then you can also buy cheese in bulk when it's on sale. And if you grate it, you don't have that issue of it falling apart when you take it out the freezer to use, which is what happens with cheese when you freeze it. So grating it just makes it so much diff- much easier. And you store it in cup. You measure out a cup. You store it in a sandwich bag, seal it, put it in your freezer, And you've always got a cup of cheese measured and ready for whatever you need it. But how do you clean that stupid grater? The cheese gets stuck to it and everything. So my last tip is spray your cheese grater with some cooking spray and it'll be easier to clean. I am Adrian Bugatti and you've been listening to the Essen Fresen Show with some kitchen hacks and tips. If you have any, please let us know that we can share them with the viewers, the listeners around the country.